0: Friends, before we start today's program, a quick update on the progress of our special offering for the church in Ukraine. All of our partners and friends there are on the move right now to avoid the worst violence and destruction, to defend their nation and to minister where they can, providing food and shelter to those in harm's way. We need you to stand with them today. You can do that right now. I've already forwarded $2,500 to one of the partners that you'll hear on today's program. Please contact us to let us know you're standing with us and our brothers and sisters in Ukraine and give as generously as you possibly can. The toll-free number is 1-800-868-2478 or give online at CompassionRadio.com. I'll give you more contact info later in the broadcast.
1: today. On Compassion Radio. Uh, Totally, we have eight. Okay. Eight friends, eight guys that have been doing this since 2014, because we didn't want this come to our doorstep. Yes. And today, it's here, so we we have to come up with a new plan of how we will protect our families and our land.
0: Where is the Kingdom of God right now? Well, it's in your hearts and in your hands, friends. Hi, Bram Floria here with the latest on the spiritual battlefront in Ukraine. As we've highlighted over the last week, the believers in Ukraine are not shying away from their identity or responsibilities to the Kingdom of God. Why? Because they know whom they have believed in, and He's never failed them yet. Are you hearing this? I really hope so. And now we'll start the program with a full segment of my first interview with a partner in Ukraine just hours after the first missiles in the Russian invasion struck. Those missiles landed just yards away from where this man was transporting needed relief supplies. Buckle your seatbelts, friends. It's going to be a bumpy ride today to the front lines of faith. Thanks for going with us. We've been trying for a couple of days here to get through and spend some time with our friend and our partner in ministry in Ukraine, Oleg Magadich. I have you on Facebook patch right now. I'm recording this conversation. Oleg, I'm very glad to hear that you're alive today and that the work that you set out to do to bring relief supplies to the eastern part of the country, has been a very harrowing night for you. Can you tell me about the last 12 hours?
1: Ooh, well... 24 hours ago, we were buying stuff and packing mats and construction materials and you name it. We were going to go to the very front line of this war to deliver help to our friends that were under heavy shelling in the last couple of days, and one of them was injured. The whole infrastructure uh, was destroyed, so we were going to go and help them. Mm. And we left Kiev at 9 p.m., and we were driving through the night. We had to be at the front line position by 9 a.m. We stopped on the way in a city called Kharkiv, which is one of the largest cities in the eastern Ukraine, which is under Ukrainian government at the moment. So we stopped there to get some gas. And as I was filling up my van, I got a message from one of my friends from the states, and he was like, "Hey, Putin just announced war against Ukraine," and I was like, "Come on." Give me the proof. And he, and he was like, I'm watching it live right now on TV. So I up started browsing um, different sources. And yes, that was true. Putin declared the war. And as we were coming out of that gas station, I gathered my team and I was going to tell them what's going on. But suddenly a few rockets landed close to that gas station and we couldn't see them, but we could hear them. They fell behind the station, and we couldn't just see them, but we could hear them, and then we could see the the bright sky, you know. Mm. And the heavy rocket shelling started about 5 a.m. this morning all over Ukraine. So we decided that we can't go to the front lines anymore because it's super dangerous. Yes. And we have only one armored vehicle and the other one wasn't armored, just just an ordinary vehicle. So we decided to turn around and go back to Kyiv to help our families because they were shocked as well. I called my wife at the very moment and she was up because the place where we are living is like less than a mile to, to the airport at Kiev Borispol Airport, and it was loud here yeah. as well. So we decided that we have to go home. And as we were turning around to drive, uh, we could hear and we could feel the parts of of the rockets uh, smash in our car, our mm. armored vehicle. So with no sleep, we drove back to Kiev. And we had like 20 minutes to make a decision and to pack up. So my wife and my younger son they just took off with 20 other people. They will try to get to the western Ukraine. It's not safe there, but it's much safer than it's here. Yes. Um, but the shelling and the attacks were happening, and still are happening, all over Ukraine at the moment. Uh, some attacks are going on in Kiev itself right now. So they're just advancing from all the sides, tanks and rockets and planes and helicopters. And it's like... It's like I'm sleeping, you know, and I want yeah. to wake up.
0: I understand what you're saying, Oleg. Since the time you and I rode together back in 2017 and talked about these things, you mentioned then that the nightmare for you was that this dream you had about the invasion would come to reality. Because you've been living this fear since 2014 when God told you to go to the front and start helping care for the orphans of war and to help start churches and bring relief supplies as God enabled you to, to help people who are citizen defenders have more than just flip-flops to run around in and more than just dried beef, whatever, to eat. You've been a part of this for the past seven, eight years now, and we are proud of you for your diligence and your consistency. I dread this day as well, and yet you and I are sitting here talking, God has been gracious enough for you and I to be able to talk about it. I see you walking around your apartment right now. Are you hearing something outside?
1: Uh, No, I'm expecting for my friends to show up. We're gathering at my place. We send our families at the moment we're gathering to make plans and to decide what we're going to do. So I'm sorry. I don't have much time.
0: I understand that. I'm grateful for the minutes I have with you. So the blessings and prayers of your body here in the States are with you, and we're praying through these days with you. And as you think and have the ability to reach me through Facebook, to let me know what kind of specific things to pray. I will immediately forward those on to our listeners and our partners here in the States. So don't hesitate for that. I know it's been an exhausting, exhausting time for you. Do you know when you expect to hear from Oksana and the people traveling west?
1: So they have to cross the river, but not in Kiev, because Kiev is right. is a nightmare at the moment. There's no way they could cross the bridge from one side of Kyiv to another, so they're going to go south uh, of Kiev, try to cross another bridge, and then they would have to stop somewhere for a night, probably somewhere in the field, I I don't know. And then hopefully by tomorrow evening they will reach the destination. We hope and pray that they can do it.
0: Oh, like how many people are in your party that have been doing these trips to East Ukraine and are with you now?
1: last 24 hours we had six people uh totally we have eight okay eight friends eight guys that have been doing this since 2014 because we didn't want this come to our doorstep yes and today it's here so we have to we have to change the plans we have to we have to come up with a new plan of how we will protect our families and our land
0: I don't know what else to do right now for your friend brother, to pray over you. And if you would allow me just one minute, I'll do that on behalf of all these people who will hear this conversation later. Yes, yes, please. Father God, our dear friend Oleg Magditch and his faithful cohort of servants to his country, they love you and they serve their country because they are members of this kingdom of God that you have established. And you've given them authority over the enemy and you've protected them so far from the schemes of evil men and from the bombs that they would drop. I would ask you for supernatural protection now as they go about the rescue operation of bringing hope and light where there seems to be nothing but fear and darkness right now. You own the nations, Lord, and you can choose to proclaim yourself in living ways to the people of Ukraine right now and ask you to do that with might and power, that you would shine a light of truth and hope and peace on these people, even as they're assaulted by evil. Please take my brother in your arms and remind him with a tight squeeze and a touch in his mind and his heart that you are present right now, and you have not forgotten him, and you have not forgotten his family. As he goes about the work you've called him to, please send your angels to protect Roxana and his children, and his friends' children and families as they evacuate to the West. Give them incredible wisdom and insight to see beyond the next tree, beyond the next wall, to know where is safe haven and to go to those places, and to bring your light and your message along with them as they go, as they pray, as they witness for you. Feed them, clothe them, give them water, give them shelter, and I pray that you would bring an end to this evil in their country, and that while these men serve you by serving their countrymen, that you would be pleased with their effort and their sacrifice. In your precious name, I pray. Amen.
1: Thank you, friend. Please pass my greetings and my gratitude to everybody who is praying for us. I will, my friend.
0: I hate to say goodbye to you now, but I trust that God will give us another chance to have this conversation again. Please sleep as you can. Okay. God bless.
1: Bye bye. Bye bye.
0: Friends, Oleg Bagdish is why Compassion Radio continues to do what we do and why we continue to appeal to you to keep doing kingdom work. With your prayers, and with your financial giving. Can I count on you today to join us? I know thousands have listened to Compassion Radio for years and have received plenty of challenge and encouragement, and some of you have participated with joy in the work we do. Many more of you have not. I'll not badger you about it, but we could seriously use your help right now. There's no time to lose in supporting relief efforts for Ukrainian refugees and for kingdom workers. Please contact us today with your most generous gift. The number is 1-800-868-2478. That's 1-800-868-2478. Our mailing address is P.O. Box 2770, Orange, California, 92859. And you can give right away online at CompassionRadio.com. Oh, there's one other way you can give. Through your phone. Just text the word Compassion to 53445. Again, the need is urgent and your help is deeply appreciated. And now to part two of today's program, where I continue the conversation I started last week with Fred Human of Music Works International about the state of the gospel in Ukraine. You and I have talked over the past you know, about five or ten years about seeing God show up in the most interesting places, but all the stories seem to center around things that are becoming way too common in the world now, which is refugees. Oh gosh. God seems to keep showing up and building his church among refugees. Yeah. I hear from like Bible placement agencies that are saying the biggest market quote unquote we've got for Bibles now are all the underground churches that are in refugee camps in Turkey and Iran and Afghanistan and Pakistan, Central mm-hmm. Africa mm-hmm. where the gospel has come to life there because the kingdom has come to life there. And the kingdom has shined in places where there's nothing else to look at but darkness. So it shows yeah. up, and it shows brightly. And now your people, your friends in Ukraine, are being pressed yeah. like a wine press. They're being squeezed, and it have been for years. And I shudder to think about how that ties in with historical precedent because we talk about the great— outpourings of the spirit between time of jesus and now have often coincided with a great diaspora when some cataclysmic event happened which drove people out
2: yeah there's no question about that and you think about what it means to be a refugee and you think of the biblical imperative Mm -hmm. and when i say biblical i don't mean new testament i mean old testament to israel who were the chosen people and they could and at times said we're it Mm -hmm. we're the chosen people leave us alone but god made sure to say Oh, by the way, leave some stuff in the fields. Yeah. I take care of this every 50 years. This is going to change, etc. to keep them aware of the fact that it wasn't just about them. Yeah. And the fact to say they were blessed to be a blessing. That's a whole nother issue. The refugee thing is very, very, very real. And it, I shudder when I think of the number of times I've heard people who I thought I knew say things that were against that. Somehow, I always get political with you, and I'm sorry. It's all right.
0: No, I'm um, with you in saying I am truly against refugeeism as if it's something that is acceptable or just one of those inconvenient truths we have got to live with. We don't have to live with yeah. this reality. We created it as humanity, and mm-hmm. we've tolerated those who keep driving people out of their homes, out of their homelands, and othered them. And it is one of those diseases that's happening within the evangelical church, too, in the West, including America, to other people and to self-justify that behavior. Yeah. To say that because we have Jesus and you don't, therefore God's judgment must be upon you and I am entitled to hate you. You don't have to look very far to find that kind of attitude around our country and the rest of the Western world. That's right. And, of course, we know that Jesus spent his time going to the outcast of the chosen people. So if we were to talk about where Jesus would show up now, (laughs) if the church was his chosen, where would he be spending time? Not there. He'd be spending time (laughs) in all the refugee resettlement centers. He'd be spending his time traveling around and and giving life and light and affirmation to people that they are loved by his Father— when no one else would go to them. That's just the way he is. Not the way he was then, but the way he is now.
2: No, exactly. And there's, you're going to laugh because it reminds me of a song we did years ago with my team that John Fisher wrote called Johnny's Cafe. Oh, yeah. remember that one. You remember that one? Where would Jesus be? If Jesus were here, I think we'd find him today down at Johnny's Cafe. Yeah. That's the bar nearby where the people you don't like or don't know, that's where Jesus would be. I think that's absolutely true. And I think, for example, even Ukraine, they were the ones who invited the Crimean Tatars back to Crimea.
0: Yes. That's an important story. Fill us out on that, would you?
2: I'm sure they'll correct me if I get some of the details wrong. But the general thing was they were driven out by the USSR. Soviet Union drove them out, sent them to Siberia. And this was a mostly Muslim people. Yes. So when Ukraine got their sovereignty. And they are a sovereign nation. Yes. When they got their sovereignty, one of the first things they did was invite, was them invite the Tatars back. Yeah,
0: that certainly isn't in the Western news or history that we read. But Ukraine made themselves a, a place of homeland, of repatriation, of rehoming the people who had been driven out. Of refuge, a place yeah.
2: of refuge. And that's inherent in the word in English. They made that a priority. And so what happens when Putin's situation changes? The first thing you do is drive them out and take it over.
0: Yeah. And, of course, the Crimea was that part of Ukraine, the very southeast of the country, a big peninsula with a very narrow isthmus. So it's kind of like an island that's barely connected to the mainland. But this giant island out there had been traditionally and for millennia had been Tatar territory. And now Ukraine had the temerity to say to the world, you can come home now because you're one of us. Yeah, and they didn't shy away from that. These were Christian people that were saying that at the time, and are still saying. Oh yeah, that. And in
2: fact, I mean, I remember stories from Maidan. So that's 2014, or the Revolution of Dignity, as they refer to it now, mm-hmm. when the Christians were being, you know, hauled off. Some Muslim congregation said, "You can use our building." Mm. Hello. Yeah. <laughs> Pardon me. What did you just say? There's such an untold story here that, fortunately, some of the stuff is coming out. Little bits and pieces and correct history, but I love the response I heard from President Zelensky of Ukraine. And he basically, in response to what had just happened, he said, you know, we don't have the time for a long history lecture right now Mm -hmm. because there needed to be one. That same attitude is not uniquely Ukrainian, but that is the Ukrainian attitude. It's like, we'll deal with this. This is what we need to do right now.
0: And this is the kind of people we are.
2: Yeah, it really, really is. And you know what? It is the most diverse nation in Europe as well. For sure not just linguistically but ethnically other people would say well a nation can only be one ethnic group hello i think ukraine is as much of a melting pot or a stew as the australians talk about them than any other country in the world so yeah. the u.s australia other countries that were kind of all made formed by refugees or people explorers and different cultures coming together it's an incredible mixture in ukraine it is not even monolithically flawed yeah. You know, so the thing I learned the most, because I got to sit across the table from the head of the Baptist Union of Ukraine, there's 2000 churches, the largest, It depends on the week, but generally the largest Baptist Union in Europe, mm-hmm. larger than Britain. Yeah. And he's talking about what they're going to do. I sent him a thanks for praying. This is what we've got planned for May. get on with it okay (laughs) okay just getting on with it and that's been true although i will say this and i'm sure marina was straight up we've talked we've messaged this week i have to call her tomorrow it's not easy i'm sure she was vulnerable it's just not easy especially in kiev now when i was there in december all the troops were on the east yeah but nobody thought that it would ever drive troops into belarus yeah from kiev to the belarusian border it's less than two hours. Yeah. I was joking today. This is Ukrainian black humor as well. They do They have a very gallows humor there. Oh, gosh. I said the only good thing is the fact that to get from the Belarusian border to Kiev, they have to go through Chernobyl.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so, you'll see them glowing as they come
2: Well, yes, that's how you'll find them yeah. I mean, that's the kind of humor they have They didn't say that, I said that But 10 years of working with them kind of rubs off it does. Um, I think the students were doing pretty well I mean, all they've known their life has been this These are 20-year-olds and Most of them mature beyond their years But the country is only 30 years old Right. So all they've known is this free Ukraine
0: yeah. Anybody under the age of 50 Pretty much does not remember Having to live under the thumb of a foreign dictator
2: Right. Or do they remember Soviet persecution? Mm-hmm. I call them the first fruits of the new Ukraine. Yeah. They found, well, yes, we can do that. Yes, we want to be linked to the rest of the world. Yes, we're about this. You know how big in Europe Eurovision Song Contest is. Yes. Yeah, for whatever reason, and it's definitely an acquired taste. Apparently
0: it's coming to America soon.
2: (laughs) Oh, yes, I know. I heard about that. I'm very sad. The thing was, Ukraine won it three years ago. Yes, it did. And you know who won? We watched her in concert.
0: A Tatar from Crimea.
2: A Muslim Tatar from Crimea. The song was about what happened when Stalin sent the Tatars away from Crimea yeah it wasn't billboarded as that, but it told that story.
0: And those who were paying attention to the competition did dig in a bit to understand why there was passion there.
2: And the Russians tried to get it out of there. Yes, the Russians they did. tried to say, No, you can't do that. They looked at it and said, No, it's not political, it's talking about this. But that was the backstory. Right. Forgive me for wandering, but it's really hard to talk about something you're so close to. Yeah. And it's not the kind of thing that's far from me. I'd say it's very odd to be watching a clip from ABC News today and this guy's interviewing people in Lviv. Mm-hmm. where well, lots of people have moved because it's on the far west on the polish border and the guy is interviewing the shopkeeper of a souvenir shop i've bought things in or tonight on uh cnn report the guy was standing in front of st michael's golden Gome cathedral
0: and
2: mm-hmm. the opposite end of that mall from saint sophia's and i'm going well i know where that is that's right. Where I stood right there a couple of months ago i was surprised at the the piece i mean yes the kids are scared this is the second time in their lifetime this has happened yeah. But they've got the example of, you know, well, yes, that's real. God's real. Got my grandparents, got my babushka through this, got my folks through this.
0: The word that comes to mind for me, Fred, after having talked with Oles and Marina, was that there was a quietude. I don't even know if I could call it peace yet, because there's not a no. sense of a long-lasting absence of conflict. But there was a sense of simmer down now. Not no. just that we've been through this before, but right now, God is saying, be still. And that is God's people saying that. It's not just a political statement coming from the head of state saying, just simmer down. There's a sense yeah. of we have not just a moral right here, but we have a moral authority to take captive those things which would destroy us, which right now is fear. Yeah, and exactly. They and they've been very courageous in that. Let me take a real big risk here on something, and you can kind of flesh it out as you see fit because you know the people better than I do. When the president of Russia goes out of his way to make a long, spinning, verbose case for the non-existence of a people called Ukrainians and the non-existence of a country called Ukraine and makes that one of those, why do we even need to have a reason to take it over? Because it doesn't exist. It's not even there. It's a fiction of everyone's imagination, therefore we should be able to do whatever we want with it. When we look at that from the outside, we say, what an idiotic statement to make from any person of stature, of authority, to say that some other country does not exist. And yet it's a fiction that absolutely drives his agenda. Mm -hmm. I thought about that for a while saying, it looks stupid on the face of it because I'm not in the middle of that. I'm not a Russian in Russia worried about this notion of a Western imperial onslaught coming at me which I've been told nonstop for years. Yeah. And yet in the West, we have the same spirit speaking to us about peoples and places and countries that those who live there say, this is my home. And yet we have little regard or none for the place they came from. And therefore, we feel like we have no moral obligation to rise to the level of compassion that's required to help them in their hour of need. I think about countries that are being wiped off the map because of all the disasters that keep spilling out of the war on terror from 2000 on because of the explosion that happened worldwide, morally, spiritually, militarily, that have disrupted two generations now. And yet we in America feel like we are justified in saying, well, it doesn't matter because they don't really exist. I'm sensing, and this is just my opinion... That that same spirit that is in Putin describing what he is entitled to do is haunting us, too. You can address that the way you want to, but I'm just sensing that something is a reality that's not a comfortable or easy thing to face, but I'm sensing it's real.
2: I think that's a fair statement. I'll comment about Putin's version of it. I think it's like, well, we're the only thing that exists on the planet. Mm. And guess what? It's not just about us.
0: It's been so good to join us on today's faith adventure. I hope it didn't scare you too much. Seriously, now, if the words of these dear friends active right now in the front lines of faith and the world's biggest war have not moved you to action, I don't know what will. Now's our opportunity to make a major difference in this conflict, both spiritually and physically. Will you stand together with us right now? Call 1 800 868 2478 to make your gift today. Give online at CompassionRadio.com or through your phone by texting the word Compassion to 53445. You can also write us, Compassion Radio, P.O. Box 2770, Orange, California, 92859. Please join us tomorrow as this story continues and be praying right now for your Christian family in Ukraine. We'll see you then.